So we are in the middle of a uh, worship uh, series called Come See, Go and Tell. And uh, that is uh, taking us through all summer long, really. Began it kind of in May, just right after Easter, I think. And it's, uh, it takes us through the Gospel of Matthew. More of a survey than a chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But uh, we are basically intentionally taking this summer to walk through this Gospel. And so, uh, and looking for ways that we can come to the feet of Jesus and just receive and receive teaching, receive correction, receive uh, rejuvenation, whatever it is that, that he has taught his disciples, that he's teaching the crowds, the miracles that he is doing, that we would come and see that, witness that with our own eyes from the text as if it was new, uh, new again for us, uh, uh, just seeing it for the first time. Sorry, Emmy, you got me laughing. Uh, and that, um, that we would go with uh, a story to tell. In fact, you know, if you're, if you're leaving this place without a story to tell, it almost means that, that we got to try harder or, or something. But that's the whole point, that we don't just come here and say, oh, it's a nice story and, and go, but that we have something to share with people because the message and the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ is so profound, so life-changing that we have to share it with folks. We need to do that with folks and do it with joy and with, with humility and, and all the things. That's kind of what we're going to talk about here today as well. Before I jump in here, how many of you have a best friend? Raise your hand. This could be an awkward question. You got a best friend, right? And then if you're married, was your best friend in your wedding? Raise your hand. Was it your best man, maid of honor? Yeah? How many people have to have a family member be their maid of honor or best man? Anyone that way? My, I told this story at the first service. My grandmother, I love her. Uh, one of my uncles, I, I can't remember which. I think, let's just say it's Uncle Bill. I've got two uncles on that side. They're bookends of five children. And I feel like my Uncle Bill had a friend be his best man versus his oldest brother, Uncle Tom. Now, if you come to any family party with my grandmother and you ask her about this, she will tell you. She will sit you down for a story to be like, I have been shamed and I have, been, I have been distraught that my son would do such a thing. I grew up with three sisters, and so I didn't have a brother to be my best man. And uh, I do have a, a, have a really good friend, a best friend. His name is Ryan. And I was in his wedding as his best man, and, and he was in mine because we both, up with, we both grew up with sisters versus brothers. And so we very quickly became very close, almost like brothers, almost like siblings, living two doors down. Let's get ready for the cute factor there. It better look cute. Aw, nice. There we are right there. That's me and Ryan. What I cropped out actually are the, the shorts that we are wearing because they are very late 80s. I feel like my mother dressed me up in something. I feel like it's leopard print. And so that's why it's cut out and will not see the light of day. <laughs> But anyways, there we are. That's Ryan and myself, and we, uh, we had a great friendship, wonderful friendship, but probably one of the biggest unsibling rivalries ever. Now, if you had Ryan here, and he asked him if that is the truth, he would probably shrug it off and say, no, no. You know why? Because he was good at everything he did. He was the best at everything that he did. And I very much so lived in that shadow, and I just wanted a piece of it. I just wanted to be better than one thing. We both sang in the choir. We both played violin in the orchestra. We both played saxophone in the band. He was better at me than all of those things. It was wonderful. I was totally supportive of him. And then we would play in sports and t-ball. This is t-ball. Everyone pay attention. Ryan is dressed to go back. Who is not? 
I'm there for support. They gave me a jersey out of pity. But anyway, so that's, this, is, this is my life growing up with him. And, and actually, there was a, a time where there was, in elementary school, there was, no, there was awards given out for excellence. And the band gave out an award for excellence to the excellent star student. Guess who won that one? Ryan. And then the choir gave out a, an award for excellence. Guess who won that one? Ryan. And then the orchestra, the violin. Guess who got that one? me. Yes, I won that one. And you know why? Because just the day before, I was complaining to the orchestra teacher that Ryan wins everything. And that woman, God bless her, probably took pity on my soul and gave me a participation trophy. But that was how we grew up. Then there was this time in middle school where um, we were both in karate. And so Ryan was really good at karate. And he had a couple months of instruction on me. And he was missing play dates, and I'm like, why? What's going on? And he's like, I have karate. And I'm like, well, I want to do karate. And asked my mom, I said, can I do karate? And she signed me up, and then I was, I was involved. I was doing this stuff with him. And he was really, really good. And so we were in junior high, and now we're kind of growing up a little bit. And there was definitely a size difference between, between him and I. As you can see, I grew up to be, you know, hefty. And, and, and I was taller. Ryan was thinner, more athletic built. Uh, and shorter than I was, and I thought for sure in what we were about to do in karate, I was going to win. It didn't matter how that he had all this experience on me. I was going to beat him in what was called sparring. You all know what sparring is? You put on gloves, and you actually fight the person. And you, you do hit them, but you're supposed to have some sort of self-control. That all devolved at some point in the, what was going on. And so we're fighting each other, and he is cleaning the mat with me. I mean, it just, he's got it down, he's skilled, he's at it, he's moving, and I'm like, cover, you know, the whole thing. And then I didn't hear, or maybe I did, I can't remember. I didn't hear the sensei say, stop. And I was so angry that once again he was beating me, that here, confession time, don't hold it against me, I decked him. The sensei said stop, he turned his, it was a cheap shot, he turned his back to me and I just kind of went after him, the whole thing, and as soon as I connected, as soon as I hit him, we had pads on everything, and I knew I crossed the line. Like, this was, this is my friend. Why would I do such a thing and, and, and be so wrapped up in jealousy that he was winning at something once again and I was not, that I would take it out on him like this. And it reminded, this story reminded me of what we're going to kind of look at today. We're going to actually talk about humility today. And it reminded, the story came to mind because what I did to Ryan, how I carried myself because of jealousy and always wanting to be better than him, is at the core level of humanity's sin. It's as, this is how our sin shows up. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they, they reached up for and pulled down. Get that image of pulling down God to elevate themselves up. 
And it sets us up as humanity in this trajectory of always just wanting to be the best, to be the greatest, to be the Lord of our lives, to be the masters of our lives, no matter what it is, whether it's in our friendships, whether it's in our businesses, whether it's in our jobs, whether it's in our families. There's this innate desire in us a lot of times that can creep up that we just, you know, want to get ahead. And that can show up in the world in corporate uh, lives and cheating and backstabbing and gossip and, and all sorts of things. It can show up here in this church by cheating and backstabbing and all sorts of things. It can even show up in us as a church, not just Bethel, but Christians in the world. This, this inner desire to always want to be the Lord's, to always want to be the greatest, to always want to be the best. Do we minister to people in this world in such a way where they are convicted by what we are for rather than judged by us by what we are against? Do we see people struggling in sin and say, shame? Do we see people struggling in their situations and like, at least that I'm not as bad as that guy? Do we live in this world where we are assured of our salvation and hopefully you all can get right with Jesus too? You see how that can kind of, always wanting to be the best, the great, that can kind of creep in even in our witness where we don't pay attention, as Carrie said, to our, our fellow brother on the road and just walk on by. Oh, I'm sorry for you. Sorry about your luck. Hopefully you can do better. Do we magnify the darkness of the world or do we seek to show the light? Today's lesson is on humility. We are in a time right now in our world where it's dark. It's, it's dark. There, the people are, there are folks that are raking the church over the coals and they're raking the church over the coals because we've made some mistakes. But now is the time to really, with great humility and conviction of love, to be the light. When it's dark, that's God's opportunity to the church. Feel him shake the pews for us to go out and be bearers of his light and to do so with great humility and love. Not to judge people for what they're doing, not to cast them out, but to convict them of the truth of the gospel. Jesus will work on their heart to help them turn. Ours is just to... To, to share that. And when we do that, it puts us in a posture of understanding this, that we're all in the same boat. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God and are in need of forgiveness. We are no better than anybody else. Even after we've achieved our salvation, we're still plagued by sin. We're still in that boat. And so that should push us, that should realign us a little bit, maybe even redirect us in how we witness and share Christ to others. When you're driving in your car, how many people put, use their phone to put a destination in of where you're supposed to go? Raise your hand, right? Good, good, good. And, uh, and for today's purposes, you know, the phone is Siri. I'm saying for us as Christians, we have a holy Siri. <laughs> And, and what happens is that Holy Spirit inside of us who convicts us of teachings of the gospel is just like that GPS who calls us to, to redirect, recalculate. You've gone off. There's temptation ahead. Redirect. You need to make a turn. All of us in here have turns that we need to make or have made and need to continue to make. 
And that is our lesson today as we look into what it means to share the word, the truth of the gospel of Christ in great humility. And it comes from disciples asking Jesus a very interesting, yet not very shocking question. You ready to dive in on that? All right, so there's our phrase, redirecting, we all have a turn to make. Say that, we all have a turn to make, amen. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18, it's page 978. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. What does this mean? How do we have this redirection? How do we, how do we alter our, our posture? How do we align our witness? What is Jesus calling us to do as people who have been saved by the power of Jesus Christ? What is he calling us to do? How is he calling us to live? Matthew 18. So we've just had the transfiguration. If you remember that, Jerry preached on that a couple of weeks ago. Mountaintop experience. Light on Jesus. He's glowing. Oh, you've got Moses and Elijah behind him. Very powerful stuff. Peter doing idiotic things. All power for the course. And so after this great monumental experience, they, they leave and they go to Capernaum. And on the way, as they get there, the disciples ask Jesus this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's stop here for a second. And who, so you all are my, kind of like my class. You're all spread out. I'd have you move in. But who, who's heard this passage before, maybe? You've heard this before? It's a popular one. In the Gospels of Mark and Luke, we get a little bit more information about these disciples. They're actually asking Jesus between the two of them, who is the greater one? Who's going to be the greatest in this kingdom. Jesus, this kingdom is going to be great. You obviously are going to be fantastic, but obviously there needs to be some senior VP positions that are available. How do I get one of those seats at the table? That's what they're asking him. How to, how, who's going to be the greatest here? And, 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 and in a couple of chapters, in chapter 20, a mother's going to bring two disciples, the sons of Zebedee. They're going to bring, she's going to bring them to Jesus, and she's going to say to Jesus, put one son on your left, put the other son on the right, because they're awesome. They're great. Such a window into what I've talked about before, about the, the core of our, of our sinful condition. To always want to be great, to always be the great somebody, right? And so they ask him this question. And Jesus kind of looks at them and says, hold the phone here, and brings them around for what I would call a very much kick-in-the-pants teaching. Now, because Jesus is such a great teacher, he has illustrations at the ready. So apparently there were random children around. He grabbed one. He was like, here, you, here, in the middle. Now, if you were a child, think about that. This rabbi, bearded rabbi that everyone's making a fuss over grabs you, possibly. I don't know. Maybe he was kind. I just think, Jesus, here. And, and puts you in the middle of everyone looking at you. It's got to be freaky. But it needs to say, he, he puts his child here. 
And then the Greek word, the, the, the term for child is not necessarily child. It could be. It also could be figuratively someone who is new in their faith, brand new, uh, a neophyte of sorts, brand new to the faith and still kind of, you know, this is kind of awesome kind of thing. I think for sure this was a child here because there's other teachings in this section here that deal with children. So I'm pretty sure this is a real child, but I think he's figuratively bringing their attention to how this child sees the world. He says to them, if you even want to even get in, never mind, great. If you want to be in this kingdom of heaven, you've got to turn and become like this child. You've got to turn and become like someone who's brand new to the faith. Now, this is a huge head scratcher. Because as we here in the church, as we've taught the Bible and continue to teach the Bible, we're all about learning and growing deeper and becoming stronger in your faith. That's all something very, very valued. But here, Jesus takes a moment and says, no, actually, I want you to become more like this new believer here. I want you to become more like this new to the faith person. Why? Because children, how many of you have ever seen children be surprised? Raise your hand. And they get surprised at the dumbest things. So I have three children. Now my daughter Claire is getting older. She's five. Just the other day, she said, Daddy, that's not funny anymore. And I looked at her. I said, Claire, I will always be funny. Always. Besides the point. But anyways, but Caleb and Karis, three in one, that's how old they are. We've taken Caleb to gem mining. You know what that is? So we go to a vacation in North Carolina and there's this place that charges way too much money uh, for you to stand there with a screen and sift through sand for rocks. And the kids love it. And so Caleb's like, we took him the first time last year, and he's shaking. He's looking at it, he's like, Ugh. I mean, like, just like huge, just eyes, like, look at this, look at this. And it's like dirt covered. I mean, he's just like, it's a rock. So fantastic. And then he, precious rocks. He had them in a baggie. No one touched them. Where's my rocks? That's kind of where he was. And last night, better example, Karis is just one. We're out watching fireworks, and it's about 9.45, 9.50, they were late. So Karis is, doesn't care about fireworks anymore. She wants to go home, she's done, and I'm like, we're having fun. So I held her, and the fireworks started, and all of a sudden, and I'm not paying attention to her, I'm just kind of looking, I hear her, a little small voice, wow, wow. I mean, she did this every time, wow, wow. Jesus says, you want to be great in this kingdom? You want to get in? Then have a posture like this child that is always captivated, expecting surprising and wonderful things about who I am, who never lose sight of the truth of the power of the gospel, who is always caught off guard by it. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? I just be like this child. There's a quote in your bulletin. I don't know if I have it. It's up there on the screen. It comes from the interpreter's Bible and it says this. A child lives in a constant wonder. It makes toys out of trash. It finds life a high romance. Thus, a child expects 
great things of life and finds them. The faith that Jesus prized, that he's telling all of these disciples, listen, you want to come in, this is what you got to do. The faith that is prized is instinct in a child. Now, again, this kind of goes against some other teachings in the Bible. The Apostle Paul, and I think also in Hebrews too, talks about how you shouldn't be childish in your faith. You need to grow up. You need to, you need to eat on, on, on more substantial things. But Jesus is not talking about being childish. He is talking about being childlike. There is a difference. Jesus still values instruction. Jesus still values teaching and correction. He still values the sanctification of the Holy Spirit that will come upon his disciples, has come upon us, that continues to renew our minds of all the teachings. He values all of that, that growing up in faith. But he's saying, may you never lose the wonder, the wow, rocks of the faith. You got to be like this child. See, as adults, we get weathered down. Bad things have happened to all of us in this room, I'm sure. And bad things will continue to happen. Things that knock us off our feet. And it begins to weather on us and we begin to possibly, maybe, dare I say, not rely too much in the unbelievable parts of Scripture. We begin to say, "Mm, I know you say I can do all things. I know the truth. I know you say you're going to help me through this. I know the truth. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't ever think that you know more, that you know it all, that you lose the wonder that this child has for me. Paul, the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You can go to it if you'd like. It's page 1140. How many people know the 1 Corinthians chapter 13 passage? It's famous. Where we, where Bob knows, where, where we hear this normally? Weddings, right? It's the famous verse four, love is, y'all remember it? Patient, kind, Love does not envy, boast, it's not arrogant, rude, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just a wonderful little passage to tell to new people in love as they're getting ready to get married. Jordan and Corey, I'm looking at you. And, and so it's great. It's not really about weddings, though. It's about how we're supposed to act with each other in, in, our, in our community of faith. But then Paul does this, verse 8. Remember, this is, and I'm bringing this up because I just said, don't let the bias of adulthood make you think you know it all. Paul says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. And as for knowledge, it'll pass away. There'll come a time where all the stuff that has helped us here on this side of heaven is no longer now needed. For we know in part We prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, if you've got your own Bible, underline that. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. That word perfect means it's the same word of when Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. When the completion, the aim, the the thing that we are working towards comes to an end, when it comes to an end and we've achieved that, the partial passes away. 
Look at this. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And he's talking about literal children in adulthood. We all know when we are children, we think like children, we rationalize like children, we are dependent on our parents, we are dependent on our guardians, our grandparents, we're dependent on the instruction to receive to teach us how to walk, how to eat, how to live, how to be kind, how to be all those things. But then when we became an adult, we're launched, supposedly. We're launched, and we are now supposed to live those things out as one who knows. For now we see in a mirror dimly. So right now we don't see at all. But then there'll come a time where it's face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And I think the greatest of these is love is because if you go back to 1 Corinthians 13, 4, and you read that love is patient, love is kind from a childlike vantage point to the Father. My love for you, O Lord, is patient. My love for you, O Lord, is kind. My love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. My love for you does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in the wrongdoing. It rejoices with your truth. The love you have for me bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Isn't that an interesting way of possibly looking at that? I don't want to rewrite scripture, but I was just kind of caught off guard on that. Paul is saying, for right now, figuratively, we're children. We, only, we see through the mirror dimly. So understand that, accept that, and continue to look at the Lord with that great sense of love and adoration to, to receive from him that childlike wonder. There will come a day when that passes and then we will see it fully. And we will have a seat at the greatest table at the greatest party with the greatest host ever there was. But don't ever think that you're there until we get there. For now, you rely with this childlike wonder on the Lord. Now that I'm cramming all of that teaching in the word child. There's still another teaching in this passage. And it comes from verse, I think, 4, 3, and 4. 3. He says, Truly I say to you, Matthew chapter 18, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever... That's what it should say, whosoever. And so you should call back to John 3.16. The Greek word for whosoever means all. Write that down. Anyone and everyone. See, now you're Greek scholars. Whosoever, anyone, humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Let's break the second part of this teaching. Become like child, have a childlike wonder. Ooh, rocks, wonderful, great. But then he says, if you want to come in, you then have to turn and become. This is in the, the way the Greeks write this. It's in the subjunctive. It's kind of like an if-then statement. It means one thing depends on the other thing happening. So if you want to come in, then that is dependent on you turning and becoming like a child. You can't even begin to step foot unless that has happened. So what's the Greek word for turn? Everyone write this down. You ready for this? The Greek word for turn is quite simply turn. 
It is to make an about face from the direction that you're going. The Spirit has said, redirect, make a turn. Jesus is saying everyone has to make that turn and then become like this child. And that word become means to be born, means to come into existence. It is the same word that Jesus says to Nicodemus. If you want to know what I'm teaching, if you want to understand it all, you have to be born again. So not only is it all about the awestruck wonder, but Jesus is saying, you have to really, in a sense, become again like this new believer. You got jaded, disciples. You're so wrapped up in the pharisaical teachings of what it means to be clean. The leper, don't come near me, don't touch me. The feeding of the 5,000, the disciples told Jesus to send them away. The blind man who calls out to Jesus for healing, they said, be quiet. And now they want to know who's the greatest. And Jesus is like, you, you've got the world jading you here. You need to become again like this new believer who is just captivated by the simple truth that they have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. You got to turn and become. And whosoever would come would need to humble themselves. And that word humble there, it's written to mean continuously. Continuously. And daily, humble yourselves like this child. To not think of yourself as the great somebody, but to think of yourself as one who, just like everyone else, is in need of the gospel truth of Jesus Christ. You have received it, those who have placed your faith. But do you, do you leave here sharing it with folks with that same type of excitement that Caleb had with those rocks? Or is it just something that's like, well, it's a good idea. I know I got my seat. Hopefully you'll get yours. The church ceased to exist here in the corner of Bethel and Reed. Would our neighborhood even notice? If there are people in your life who have no idea that you're a card-carrying, loving Christ person, that begs a question. Perhaps a turn, a redirection needs to happen and a becoming like a child again. It is a kick in the pants. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Because as I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, man. I mean, just this week, this morning, I failed at this. <laughs> like, well, great. I get to preach about it, you know? It is a kick in the pants. May we never, never lose sight of the simple, profound truth of which we have been saved. That God so loves even you that whoever puts their faith in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus himself, who had everything in heaven that is afforded to him, and he sets it aside, humbles himself onto a cross so that we may come. Not about who's the greatest, He's the greatest. But thanks be to God, we're invited to share that with him. And that's out of his actions and not anything that we've ever done. Redirection. Make the turn. Become like children. I'll leave you with this and then we're going to have communion. One of my favorite passages in the Bible 
comes from the book of Romans chapter 12. After, after Paul goes through an entire teaching, almost his gospel really, of who Jesus is, he makes a turn at chapter 12 and now is like, now this is how you live this out. Listen to how Eugene Peterson from The Message phrases it, that we would never lose sight of this. So chapter 12, here's what I want you to do. Just listen. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you who's always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. He says, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on to dear life to good. Be good friends, not like how I was with Ryan, who loved deeply. And get this. This is, what, this is why it's my favorite. Practice playing second fiddle. In orchestra, Ryan was always first chair. And I was always in that second kind of seat. And here to find, Jesus is saying, Paul is saying, excuse me, practice playing second fiddle. At the end of this, he says, don't be the great somebody. Make friends with nobodies. May we never lose the awestruck wonder. Rocks, wow the firework spectacle of the gospel truth of Jesus. May we always hear that, that voice of the Spirit that says you're about, to, you're about to go down a wrong turn, about to cross the line and punch somebody when you're not supposed to. <laughs> Redirect and make the turn. And always look to Christ with that same joy as a child.